Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Gene Ross. Join me, as always, is Josh Dooley. Um, Josh, and it is here, man. It's, it is game week. Ohio State is going to play its first game of the season this weekend against Notre Dame. We have real football coming up. We had some, what I guess you could call real football this past weekend. I wouldn't go that far, but Josh, sure, how, are sure, we, yeah, yeah. how are we feeling heading into the first official game week as we, as we approach week one of the college football season? I'm feeling good, baby. Let's do it. Let's just jump in right into the preview. Uh, I think we got all the Big Ten. Oh, no, we didn't. We still got to do one more Big Ten preview, but I'm super excited about this. I've been counting down since, uh, I don't know, when when did the Northwestern game end on Saturday? Mid-afternoon, I've been counting down to real football, so I'm ready to roll. Yes, we do have one more uh, Big Ten preview to get into, and that is, of course, everyone's favorite team, uh, the Michigan Wolverines. We are going to do, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about Ohio State, but we're not going to preview them as in-depth as we did all the other teams because we are going to talk about them, you know, twice a week here for the rest of the season, so we will get more than enough of our fill of Ohio State football. But before we get into that last Big Ten preview, we had some... Uh, Big Ten football happened this weekend for sure. It was definitely on my TV, and I definitely watched all of it. Um, but uh, Josh, you know, after some of our Big Ten previews, I know you were a little high on uh, on those Nebraska Cornhuskers. How are we feeling coming off that Week Zero game in Ireland? I heard things went really well for Scott Frost out there. I, I'm starting to think I was just high when we did the preview. You know, I, I spoke very highly not not very highly but i spoke highly enough of nebraska i thought they were going to turn it around maybe they still will but week zero is not what you want to see especially if you're an over better uh if you took their over total just typical scott frost in nebraska football started out gangbusters you know had a good lead had the momentum arguably one of the worst onside kicks that football has ever seen and the momentum turned, and it was all downhill from there. I thought Casey Thompson, I, I'm not really sure what happened with him in the second half. I don't know if he lost his composure or if Notre Dame really just made some adjustments that confused him. He played poorly in the second half, couldn't really hit anything. And then the coaching decisions, what are you going to say at this point? But, um, you know, credit to Northwestern for hanging in there. I don't think it was a great game from them but they did just enough and uh yeah i mean i mean what do you say gene what do you say about nebraska and scott frost time in time again just losing the single score games i don't even know where to start man i'm gonna turn it back to you yeah i mean i think i saw on twitter today something like nebraska had about an 88 percent chance to win the game right before they kicked that onside kick you're talking about and then it all really just came crashing down after that and at a certain point you just have to respect you know scott frost's just seemingly unwanting to win a football game like he this man knows how to lose football games you just have to give him credit at some point if you're in a one score game in the fourth quarter and you need to lose the football game scott frost is your guy i mean it is it is insane it's not you know we talk, a lot of it was chalked up at least he and his coaching staff chalked up to some bad luck last year but at, at a certain point it's it's not luck anymore it's just bad coaching you know he immediately threw his new offensive coordinator under the bus after the game saying they yeah, weren't creative absolutely. enough and it's just like at a certain point this man's got to look in the mirror and be like it's me I, I just can't win football games and so you know when that buyout drops I believe it's in October uh, I imagine we will be seeing no more of Scott Frost in Nebraska especially if things continue on how they did you know that was a game we talked about how you know if Nebraska is going to have a good season this year you have to beat the teams that you should beat and you know we, we believe Northwestern is going to be one of those teams like you said Nebraska uh, Northwestern wasn't terrible but I don't think they really you know lit the world on fire with anything they did out there they, they hung around there they played good defense they ran the ball well and you know, things just went well. Casey Thompson, like you said, started out great. 
And then in the second half, Nebraska decided to you know start running up the middle into the very teeth of the Northwestern defense and forced forced Thompson into some bad throws. He had some you know really tough tough luck things at the end there where balls were hitting off receivers' hands and getting intercepted and whatnot. But at a certain point, it's not bad luck anymore. You're just a bad football coach, and and Scott Frost is just he ain't built to win in the Big Ten. It is what it is. You know, it's not the the toughest conference to win on on the big on the Big Ten West side of things, but he just he seemingly cannot do it. He cannot get the job done. And if it's a one score game, he is going to lose it. And it's a defense thing too. You know, I I had higher expectations for this defense. They had a lot of experience coming back. I know they lost Cam Taylor, Britt, and a couple guys like that, but. Tyler Helinski, they made Tyler Helinski look great for a long stretch during that game and just really couldn't do much to stop Evan Hall. The black shirts are no more, and that was a Nebraska calling card for years and years between the defense and the running game, whether that was the option or a traditional running attack. And they just they haven't clawed their way back on the defensive side of the ball that I thought could have maybe covered up for a couple things from their offense. Casey Thompson looked great in the first half, but everyone seemingly lost their composure in the second half, and that's how you ended up with the result that you did. And I have to lower my expectations. I think that seems sort of obvious, right? But I looked at Nebraska's schedule, and I thought, okay, maybe they can win eight or nine games, surprise some people. They certainly surprised some people, in my opinion, just in the wrong way, and now they're 0-1, looking down the barrel of another Scott Frost season. Let's just call it what it is. So the expectations have definitely been lowered. It was a disappointment. I'm not a Nebraska fan by any means, but definitely a disappointment to see how they came out in the second half and just seemed woefully unprepared for any adjustments and couldn't stop the Wildcats. So um, Pat Fitzgerald, the beat the beat goes on, uh, an upset in – uncertain terms but uh at the end of the day I guess I don't see a whole lot from either one of these teams moving forward yeah for sure I mean at the very least it was a fun week zero game you know it was was a good contest back and forth between two teams that you know aren't the best in the world but at least they put on a good show there to to kick things off for the season in week zero but you know you talk about a team whose defense hasn't been there for a few years now let's talk about a team who you know whose defense really carried them to, to greater heights last season and we'll get into our our final big 10 preview of the season here and that is of course the Michigan Wolverines um, by all accounts, Michigan had a program year in 2021. They finished the season at 12-2. and two. They finally beat Ohio State. They won the Big Ten title. They made it to the college football playoff. They were then you know, dominated by Georgia in the Orange Bowl, 34-11. But everything really went right for the Wolverines last season before the college football playoff. They were 16, 16th in the country in points per game, 8th in points per game allowed. Offensively, they were the number two scoring offense in the Big Ten behind Ohio State. They were the best in the conference in rushing the football. That duo of Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum made for a great tandem in that backfield. The offensive line was incredibly strong, helping to pave the way for that rushing attack. They also allowed the fewest sacks in the Big Ten. Um, they were seventh in the conference in passing. Nothing really to write home about there. Cade McNamara didn't you know, shock people with his ability to play quarterback, but he was very dependable for them. Um, they lacked a real dynamic pass catcher after losing Ronnie Bell for the season, so I guess you'd give him a little bit of the pass there. But the defense Defense was really where this team made its hay last year. They were number four in the conference in total defense, um, number five in stopping the run, number four in stopping the pass. That defense was stacked with NFL stars, highlighted by Aiden Hutchinson, of course. Um, they also had guys like David Ojabo, Daxon Hill, all guys that are now in the league. And they were just, you know, they were a tough physical team on both sides of the ball. They overpowered opponents at the line of scrimmage on both sides. And we really saw that all come to a head against Ohio State in that in that game at the end of the year. Yeah, they beat people up. And you have to say that they had a great season even with the loss to Georgia, Georgia, 
won the you know the national championship. They were a great team. I don't hold that loss against Michigan. So full credit where it is due. I thought that they were well coached throughout the season. They executed a game plan. Like I said, they beat teams up, including Ohio State. Um, my questions moving forward, and as it pertains to 2022, is how do they deal with the loss of both coordinators and a trio of what would have been first-round draft picks on defense besides Hutchinson and Dax Hill? David Ajabo would have gone in the first round had he been healthy. He slipped to the second. So I think their offense is going to be fine, despite the curious decision to name co-starters at quarterback, which I know we'll get to. So a lot of my questions pertain to the defense and how do they handle the pressure of being the hunted also. You know, Ohio State has dealt with that pressure for years to varying success. Michigan has been beaten up by the media, and now they are the defending Big Ten champions with a bunch of momentum. And the heat is sort of off Jim Harbaugh for at least another year. How do they deal with that, not being the underdog or not being the team that falls slightly short? How do they deal with being... I'm not going to call them a co-favorite, but one of the favorites in the Big Ten and having the success that they did last year. So I think 2022 will be an interesting year for them. I still think they have a good team, but I do believe that it will be difficult to replace what they have to on the defensive side of the ball, uh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you talk about Jim Harbaugh. He's heading into his eighth season with the Wolverines. He's compiled an overall record of 61-24. and 24. Uh, Michigan has won 10 games four different times under Harbaugh, but they are just 1-6 and six against Ohio State after the win last year. They also dodged to the game in 2020. Um, they're also 3-4 and four against Michigan State, including losses in each of the past two meetings. So Jim Harbaugh has struggled against his team's rivals. He kind of, you know, he, he bucked that trend last year. They still lost to the Spartans, but they were able to defeat Ohio State and obviously the bigger of those two rivalry games. But overall, you know, Harbaugh's really struggled to win the big game before last year's win over the Buckeyes. The loss to Georgia moves him to 1-5 and five in bowl games. Uh, their last bowl win was in his first season in 2015 over Florida. So kind of a, a tough big game coach there. He also seemingly tries to find an escape hatch every offseason, but nobody seems to want him at, at whether it's the NFL level or elsewhere. Uh, really, <laughs> really, really weird dynamic for a Michigan man to, to have that happen every single offseason. But no, like you said, the biggest question is, can he replicate the success of that 2021 campaign? Or or has he peaked as a head coach? Has Michigan peaked as a program? You know, like you said, they lost uh, offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis, who left to join Mario Cristobal at Miami. They lost defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, who left to join his brother John Harbaugh. At, with the Ravens, um, and so it's going to be a, an interesting year for Jim Harbaugh. He's missing a bunch of those guys on that defense that made them so good. A lot of the offensive guys are back, but that wasn't really what this team, you know, got its bread buttered on that last season. So I'm very interested to see what we see from Michigan this year. You know, you kind of talk about them as the defending champs and one of the you know the favorites again to win the conference. I believe at last check when I looked at like Big Ten uh, conference odds, Ohio State was like minus 200 to win it, and then Michigan was the second favorite, but they were like plus 800 or something crazy like that. So a pretty wide gap in what at least the Vegas odds makers believe will happen in the Big Ten conference this year. And I think a lot of that does have to do with you know the fact of how much this team lost on a defense that was just so good last year. Yeah, the the coordinator losses, I think, you know, there was going to be some familiarity because Jim Harbaugh essentially it fills out his entire staff with coaches who have worked for his brother. So I'm sure that he knows a thing or two about Matt Weiss, and I know I have it written down, the new defensive coordinator I'll get to, Jesse Minter. Um, so I, I don't think it's going to be – 
you know, total confusion. I think there will be some cohesion there, but Gaddis and McDonald were highly thought of by most people. I know Gaddis kind of took some shots here and there, but he did some good things with that offense last year after a couple of years during which they struggled. So I think that is going to be the sort of biggest variable, but one B would definitely be the losses on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't know which side you want to get to first. So I'm going to turn it back to you, but I think one A and one B are coordinator defense. Whereas with the offense, I think we'll see more of the same, and I think they'll be okay there. Yeah, let, let's look at that offense first, and then we can talk about that defense, because I think that is the bigger story there. So we'll bury the lead a bit here. Um, like we said, they lost Gaddis to Miami. They're leaving it in the hands of Matt Weiss and Sharon Moore to run that offense. Um, the team returns starting quarterback K. McNamara, sort of. Uh, Jim Harbaugh is not committing to a starting quarterback. We learned just this past week that uh, McNamara will start the opener against Colorado State, and then J.J. McCarthy will start the second game of the season against Hawaii. Um, and then after the first two weeks of the season, he will decide on a, on a starting quarterback. Um, famously, not naming a starting quarterback and having an in-season competition has worked out very well for other uh, Big Ten teams. Um, please see. I'm 2015. glad you hit on it, Gene, yeah. because if you did and I was going to. Yeah, please see 2015 Ohio State, where they're pretty much their entire season was derailed by not having a starting quarterback. I, you know, uh, McNamara is a safer option of the two. McCarthy has more upside as the former five star. Neither of these guys, you know, having a competition like this is not going to lose them games against the Colorado State or against the Hawaii. But it's not what you want to see coming off of what was one of your best seasons in program history um, to have something like this uh, a pop up. Uh, you don't want to have quarterback controversy. It's just adding another layer of things that you have to butt up against and it's, it's not what you want as a team that had so much success last year you know if you want to come back with McNamara as a guy who led you to the promised land do it if you want to switch things up with a guy like McCarthy who probably was, brings your team to bigger heights but albeit with a little bit more risk then I think you got to make those decisions but I, I don't like the having each quarterback start a game and then deciding I think that's a bad idea what do you think about that Josh before we get to the rest of this offense I'm with Eugene I think if anything Cade McNamara earned it just like, uh, you know, when I go back to 2015, I, I think JT Barrett had earned it. And they kind of went back and forth, Ohio State did, with he and Cardale Jones. I know Cardale went, you know, just bananas throughout the playoff and won the national title. But JT Barrett was the record, hold, record holder. He was your more proven guy. He didn't lose you games, in my opinion. And I don't think Cade McNamara lost Michigan games. He certainly didn't lose that Georgia game for them. That was just a team effort by the Bulldogs to run roughshod over the Wolverines. So I am surprised by it. I, I think, if anything, you sort of keep that under your hat. And then if Cade McNamara struggles, you have that quick hook. And you're like, hey, we're going McCarthy moving forward. So... I find it a bit odd that he came out and said that ahead of time, but you know, how can you go against King Solomon, right? How can you go against the Bible, the biblical references that Jim Harbaugh made? Um, that was another oddity. He clearly has something in mind and, and uh, a reason as to why he made this move. I'm sure that the offensive coordinator supported it or co-offensive coordinator supported it. But definitely odd. I don't think that it does either guy any favors because they're constantly going to be thinking about 
that one game sample size and then they're going to be evaluated from there. So I'm with you. I don't love it. Yeah. And I, and I think it's very similar to that Ohio State situation, maybe not stylistically, but you know, obviously you have a guy, McNamara is the JT Barrett. He's the safe option. He's a guy that, you know, he's not the flashiest in the world, but he wins football games. And then McCarthy is the Cardell Jones, a guy who could really sling it around, maybe a bit more risk. Maybe, you know, he'll, he'll take some more shots in spots where you don't want him to, and maybe a bit younger, less experienced, but the higher upside of the two, I think it's a very similar situation, but nonetheless, um, Hassan Haskins has gone at running back, but Blake Corum returns. Um, Corum rushed for just under 1,000 yards last season with 11 touchdowns on 6.6 yards per carry, so really solid back there. He'll be joined by former four-star and Michigan native Donovan Edwards. This is a guy Ohio State was in on the recruiting trail after. Um, Corum will start the season getting the bulk of the carries, but I'd expect to see Edwards come on fast. I think he's a very, very good player, and I'm interested to see more of him. Um, At wide receiver, Michigan gets Ronnie Bell back, who uh, suffered a season-ending injury a year ago. Um, they'll also return last year's top pass catcher, Cornelius Johnson, who had a team-high 40 catches for 627 yards and three touchdowns last season. They have a handful of other intriguing options at wideout. You know, Andrell Anthony is a guy who flashed in limited opportunities last year. They like some of their incoming freshman receivers as well. And, of course, in addition to all those guys at wide receiver, they also bring back tight end Eric All, who was second on the team last year with 38 catches for 437 yards. So some pretty decent options out there for Cade McNamara or J.J. McCarthy to throw to. And then, of course, they'll be blocked by that strong Michigan offensive line, which from a year Ago, loses a pair of starters. Um, the group will likely be led by six-year Olu Olu at center, a Remington Trophy Award finalist last year. Um, Ryan Hayes is back as a two-year starter at left tackle. Zach Sinter is experienced at right guard. Um, they lose some pieces, but I'm not expecting any drop-off from the unit last year that won the Joe Moore Award. That Michigan offensive line was dominant. Um, I expect more of the same this year, and especially with the, the type of running attack they do with, with guys like Corum and Edwards, I expect that Michigan offensive line to once again be really, really good. I'm with you for the most part. I don't want to beat the quarterback position over the head too much. Two different options. They are different stylistically, but I do like the upside of McCarthy. He can run the ball a little bit more, but like we've both said, Cade McNamara, in my opinion, has done nothing to lose his job, lose the position. So I I think they'll figure it out either way, even if they're taking an unconventional approach to how they sort it out. As far as running backs go, I I actually think that they could be better running the ball than they were in 2020, or at least more explosive. So Haskins was a bruiser. He scored the 20 touchdowns, but Corum and Edwards are home run hitters. You know, Haskins, he averaged less than five yards per carry. So he wore a lot of teams down with volume, with his physicality. Corum and Edwards are a little bit different just in body makeup, speed, agility, things like that. And those two also combined for 44 catches last year. So I think the Wolverines can experiment with that versatile duo. And I think that they will be just as good, if not better, on the ground or production-wise. Because maybe those guys up it to 50, 60 catches and give you a real dual threat option back there. At wide receiver, yes, they've got the top four receivers back and Ronnie Bell. I think they'll be solid, but I think they could also be a little overrated. The reason I say that is because I like the idea of Ronnie Bell, and he was supposed to be the next big guy. But we have to remember, he only scored two total touchdowns between 2019 and 2020. So, There was some production there. Obviously, he had the 79-yard touchdown catch as his only catch last year before he was injured. But the touchdown number would concern me a little bit if I was a Michigan fan. The other guys, though, they'll they'll sort of build it out. You mentioned Anthony. He could be a real star eventually. 
And Cornelius Johnson's a matchup problem. He's like 6'3", 210, physicality, jump ball. He can high point, uh, you know, whoever's throwing the ball to him. So I think the whole is greater than the sum of his some of its parts when it comes to this group. And I'm not saying that to be disrespectful. I just, I think they have a number of guys who will all be adequate. Maybe one one sort of rises to the top and all you mentioned, Eric, all he's a really good tight end. He's a matchup problem. I like him a lot. The strength of this team is up front though, with the offensive line, they led the, they led the big 10 in rushing and they allowed the fewest sacks in 2021. So both facets of the game. They get the three full-time starters back, plus the kid from Virginia. He was a Remington Trophy finalist and received second-team All-American recognition from numerous outlets. So they're getting a stud there. We know that they're going to mash up front and play the brand of ball that we saw, unfortunately, last November. So like I said in the beginning, I think that this Michigan offense will be productive just as good if not better than they would last year even with the last loss of Haskins I think the other running backs can replace that and be better and then Ronnie Bell will give them a certain component and it'll give them options four or five six guys even to throw to so I actually like this offense and you know before game one if we could just go back and play these two teams last year with their current rosters I think it'd be a really good matchup and I think that they would give Ohio State problems hopefully they don't this year but that's still TBD well in the future so um yeah like I said I like this offense I think they're going to put up points and be good on that side of the ball yeah, I, I too am expecting this offense to maybe take a bit of a step forward given all that we know about them. Uh, defense, however, not so much. They, um, you know, they like we talked about, they lose Mike McDonald as DC. Uh, Jesse Minter takes over, but the loss of McDonald could prove important, especially with some of the personnel losses they have on this side. We talked about some of the big names on the Michigan defense from a year ago. Most of those guys are gone. You know, starting up front, the team has to replace Heisman finalist Aiden Hutchinson as well as David Ojabo. That's 25 sacks and 28 and a half tackles for loss worth of production now off to the end. NFL. Um, this year's defensive line is, you know, surprisingly a little bit lacking depth and experience. Some combination of Taylor Upshaw, Mike Morris, and Jalen Harrell will, will play on the edge. That trio combined for just three sacks last year, of which Upshaw had two and a half of them. Um, they do bring back Mozzie Smith, a defensive tackle. He's really good. Six foot three, 337 pound senior nose tackle, likely the best of the bunch up front. Um, last year's leading tackler at linebacker Josh Ross is also gone. Uh, he led the team with 106 total tackles last year. But the team does return Junior Colson and Nakai Hill-Green. Both played pretty extensively last fall at linebacker. Colson finished fourth on the team with 60 total tackles. Hill-Green was right behind him at sixth with 50 total tackles. Um, so they should be decent at linebacker. But the secondary also has, has taken a bit of a hit. They have to replace three starters there, including safety Dax Hill. Um, Hill himself was second on the team last season with 69 total tackles and a team-high eight pass breakups, as well as a pair of picks. So a lot of new faces in that secondary, both at corner and at safety. The only returning starter there is corner DJ Turner. Um, starting opposite him will likely be Gamon Green, who played in nine games and had a pick last year. Um, converted wide receiver Mike Sanristel is going to start at nickel, which is interesting. He was fourth on the team in receiving last year, now switches over to defense. Um, so there's, there's talent at all three levels, but it's going to be tough to replicate last year's group. And I am a little bit concerned about some of the depth and talent on that defensive front, especially coming off of what last year was their strength. I am a little bit concerned that that unit is, you know, I don't think they're going to come close to, you know, making up for the losses of Hutchinson and Ojabo, but I think they could take a really significant step back based on what they have on the roster this year. I'm with you. For me, I think it's impossible to overstate just how important Hutchinson, Ojabo, and Dax Hill were to the Wolverines. And 
you know, if you don't believe me, I would look back to 2020 without Hutchinson and Ojabo for the majority of the year. I think uh, Ojabo appeared in one game. Hutchinson was injured after two. But in 2020, they finished 95th in points per game allowed with uh, 34 and a half. With all three in the lineup, they improved to eighth last year. So now that all three are gone, in addition to Josh Ross and Brad Hawkins, who had nearly 170 combined tackles, I think new DC Jesse Minder is going to have his work cut out for him. And you look at his experience and his background from the hardball tree, but he was the defensive coordinator for Vandy last year. And the Commodores finished 2021 as a bottom 12 defense in the country in both yards and points allowed. So, uh, you know, I don't know what his candidacy was outside of Michigan, but the results were not great for him last year. Um, and then you look at what's coming back for him up front. Not a ton of production returning, like you said, but Mike Morris at 6'6", 280, and Mozzie Smith, 6'3", 330. They are both freakishly large human beings who can move well. It's just, you know, for me, how do you adequately replace Hutchinson and Ojabo? So ton of questions there. At linebacker, for my money, this is the strongest unit on the defensive side of the ball for the Wolverines. Colson and Hill, like you said, they combined for 110 tackles last year. And they were both essentially seeing their first action. You know, Colson was a true freshman. And I think that they both acclimated well. They will patrol the middle. And they're going to have to because on the on the back end, they lost Hill, Vincent Gray, and Brad Hawkins, who were really the team's best defensive backs. They called the shots and sort of direct, directed traffic from the back end. So I like their cornerback duo in Turner and Green because he did play nine games. I'm, I'm talking about Green there, but they move around a lot. They played up to five or six defensive backs. A lot of them were these safety nickel types who were experienced and just sort of knew what to do in the back end, especially Dax Hill. You could put him anywhere, corner, nickel, safety, and he was going to be a star. And I, and I think Gray and Hawkins were both pretty good too. So the experience, like some of these other teams, maybe not to the extent that Wisconsin is replacing everybody, but Michigan is replacing a lot of not just stats, but stars. So I could see that unit taking a step back, whereas maybe the offense is a little more explosive. So I see similar success. But for me, they have just lost too much on the defensive side of the ball to be the sort of juggernaut that they were last year on defense. So I think that's going to be their biggest challenge. Yeah, definitely. You know, Michigan just doesn't seem to have the top end NFL draft talent on defense that carried them last year. Um, like we said, I, I think their offense should be better than it was in 2021, but I don't think it's going to be good enough to make up for some of those defensive losses. But, you know, even still, I, I think this team is going to be probably 11-0 and heading into Columbus because their schedule is, is pretty darn easy. Um, they have a cakewalk non-conference schedule against Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn. Uh, no amount of quarterback controversy. Yeah, they don't play anybody, no, yeah. Gene, no, in, the, no in the non-con. Amount, no amount of quarterback controversy could lose you those games. Um, they host Maryland before traveling to Iowa and Indiana. Uh, you know, we, me and you are both high on Maryland. I don't know if Maryland has the defense to, to win this game, but I think their offense could give that that Michigan secondary a little bit of trouble. Um, that road game against the Hawkeyes is probably their only real chance for a loss on the schedule, and it's not because of anything. You know, Iowa has a good defense. We've talked about them a ton, but you know, it's just because this that's what happens when you travel to Kinnick. Sometimes you just lose that game. So interesting to see how that one plays out. Uh, they host Penn State, Michigan State back to back. We've talked about Harbaugh's struggles with the Spartans, but I'm not particularly high on Michigan State this year. 
Um, and then they travel to Rutgers and host Nebraska and Illinois before heading to Ohio State. So not a ton of even real chances there for losses on the schedule. They'll most likely be, you know, 11-1 and or 12-0, and depending on what happens in that Ohio State game. So, you know, it seems like another year where the Big Ten East will almost certainly come down to that final game on the schedule. I know Michigan's lost a ton. I don't expect them to be as good as last year, but I still think they are, you know, probably the second best team overall in the Big Ten. Yeah, I think it'll come down to that, too, although... I'm going to hedge a little bit. I I do think that Michigan will be at least a 10-win team going into that matchup with the Buckeyes. But you and I talked about this on the last pod, losable games, right? I think that Maryland potential, but they get the Terps at home. They go to Kinnick. Um, I, I don't think Iowa... Look, their defense is going to be great. Their offense, we'll see. But if that defense can play lights out, um, force a bunch of turnovers like they did early last year, I think that is a potential loss. And then you've got the rivalry game. Michigan State, you and I are both a little down on the Spartans, but they're ranked 15th going into the season. Bunch of transfers. They have Peyton Thorne. If they replicate the running success that they had last year, they could be another really good team. So... I do think ultimately it'll come down to Ohio State and Michigan, but go ahead and pencil me down, pencil me in for one loss by the Wolverines before that game. I just can't tell you where it's going to come from. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and so I, that that kind of you know that that really wraps. Up. I don't want to spend too much time on Michigan. I don't like talking about Michigan in general. You know, you have to respect. Me what they did, neither. Have to respect what they did last season. But that's enough Michigan talk for me. Um, as we've done with all the other uh, Big Ten teams, you could check out uh, Maze and Brew, the SB Nation site, for more about the Michigan Wolverines. I don't know why you would do something like that, but you know. To, to each his own. But you know what, Josh? That that brings us to what everyone is here for, the, the week that everyone's waiting for. That brings us to the Ohio State-Notre Dame game, the preview of all previews, the preview of the season, the preview of the week one game. I'm not going to do a full you know, Ohio State in-depth preview here, but we will run through a bit of stuff before we talk about the matchup. Specifically, um, the Buckeyes are set to open up the 2022 campaign with a lot of hype, a lot on the line for Ryan Day and company. You know, Ohio State's coming off a season where they had the number one offense in the country, but the number 38 defense, um, even 38th feels far too high for how bad the defense actually was. Those numbers are inflated by some poor offenses in the Big Ten, but this should have been a national title contending team, even with an average defense. Um, Ryan Day did bring in Jim Knowles, as well as Perry Eliano, Tim Walton, to fix these issues on that side. Uh, but there's, you know, there's been a lot of talk heading into the season about how this unit will look. It's now time to see what they actually look like on the field. You know, we, we kind of just expect the offense to keep on humming. And even with the losses they've had, but it's the defense that everyone's waiting to see. They'll face a stiff test here coming up against number five Notre Dame in the first game of the year. But I am excited to see, you know, what this Ohio State defense looks like. You know, we talked last year about how even if this Ohio State defense was, you know, top 50, top 40, they could win a national title. And now you have the coaches saying, you know, they're expecting top 10, top five. I don't know if they're going to get there right off the bat. You know, a lot of the same talents returning. It's going to see how much, you know, this is a, a talent issue versus a coaching issue. But I'm excited to see this Ohio State defense on the field for the first time under seemingly, you know, actual defensive coaches who know what they're doing. I'm with you. I think that a lot will be determined and dictated by the play of Ohio State's defense. And we'll get into all the odds and ends. But the thing that I have to say about this game, and Gene, I don't know if you've figured this out about me yet but I am often um, an anxious pessimistic potentially chemically imbalanced individual so these enormous games always make me a little bit nervous I don't care what the spread is I don't care if 
Notre Dame is potentially overrated. This is a huge game. This is going to set the course for Ohio State season. And, you know, if they were to potentially lose, and I, I'm not going to predict that, but if it were to happen, you're talking about two two losses out of three games, uh, three high-profile games coming off a rivalry loss. So, And it, it also makes me nervous. Ohio State is always the hunted, and I guess it shouldn't make me nervous, but I, I've heard this said, and I've seen it in like social media and on TV and things like that. All the pressure, and I agree, is on Ohio State for this game. Notre Dame is the underdog, even though they are ranked fifth. Um, you know, they lost their bowl game. They lost the first game in which Marcus Freeman was the de facto coach. I don't think that he was um, announced full time when they lost to Oklahoma State. And so Ohio State has a ton of pressure on their shoulders. And I think the offense will deal with it just fine. It goes back to that defense. How will the defense handle the pressure and how will they deal with the uh, not expectation, but the reputation that they've had the last couple of years they've been down they have not pressured the quarterback the linebacker play has been hit and miss the safety play was not great especially without Josh Proctor last year so there's just a ton of unknown and that's what gives me the nerves or the nervousness when it comes to this game is that fair to say Gene? Yeah, I mean, I'm the exact same way. You know, it could be, I don't care who the opponent is. Ohio State could be playing, you know, Bowling Green or Toledo. Until that game is like 21 nothing, 28 nothing. I'm nervous the whole time, just worried about what could happen. Because like you said, you know, Ohio State every given week is getting another team's best effort. Every team wants to come in and knock off Ohio State, whether the game is at home, on the road, in Columbus, on the moon, doesn't matter. Everyone wants to beat Ohio State. And you talk about, you know, this is, this is a big test for Ohio State to start the season. And Ohio State has not, you know, historically fared well in these ranked non-conference games at home, especially in recent years you know most recently with I want to hit on that Gene if I can interrupt very yeah, briefly and sure. then give it right back to you I actually see some similarities between the opener this opener and the Oregon game from last year you know because Ohio State has the edge on paper they're favored to win by double digits just like I think they were last year but like Oregon Notre Dame has a few real difference makers um, you know, Oregon last year, they had the running back who transferred. They had Kayvon Thibodeau, we thought. Um, they had the linebacker whose name is escaping me right now, Eric uh, something or other for Oregon. And they played, you know, pretty well. So, and, and as a non-con matchup, this has been dissected and discussed for months. In Notre Dame's case, since Marcus Freeman was officially named the head coach. So that's where I see a lot of similarities. And you hit on it. Ohio State has occasionally struggled with these big out-of-conference beginning-of-the-season games. And so I'm getting flashbacks a little bit to the second game last year against Oregon. Yeah, you, you think of losses against Oregon and Oklahoma in recent years. Uh, but, you know, on the flip side, Ohio State has fared well against Notre Dame in, in you know, in the series' history. Ohio State owns the all-time series record 4-2, to two, including the last four in a row. Um, the last time Notre Dame actually won a game in the series came all the way back in 1936. So it's been quite a while since the Buckeyes fell to the Fighting Irish. But I do want to, you know, not as much as we, not as in-depth as we've gone with some of these other teams, I do want to kind of run through this Ohio State roster a bit, what we're expecting to see from Ohio 
Ohio State in this side of the matchup before we get into the, the matchup itself against Notre Dame. Uh, you all know, you know what we're looking for this year. Even with uh, losing a pair of top 11 wide receivers in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Ohio State offense expects to not miss a beat. You know, C.J. Stroud returns as the Heisman frontrunner. As of Tuesday morning, Stroud is the favorite at plus 220 to win the Heisman on per DraftKings, um, just ahead of Alabama's Bryce Young at plus 400 as the, as the second-place guy. Stroud coming off a season, throwing for over 4,400 yards, 44 touchdowns, and six picks despite missing a game. Um, things started slow, but after he missed that Akron game, he was nothing short of incredible and has a real chance to finish as one of the best quarterbacks in school history, especially if he's able to lead them to a national title. Uh, you know, Behind him, joining him in the backfield, Ohio State returns an excellent running back tandem of Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams. Uh, Henderson rushed for over 1,200 yards last year despite being banged up most of the season, and Williams was actually the best running back on the team in terms of yards per carry at 7.2 you know, yards per tote so both of those guys very good differing still skill sets there um, leading receiver jsn jackson smith and jigbo returns looking to put together a heisman campaign of his own put up a ridiculous 95 catches for 1600 yards as he and stroud had that 7-11 connection going uh guy seems to always be open in the field you know, Olave and Wilson will be replaced by a wide receiver room that's just overflowing with talent. Guys like Marvin Harrison Jr., Mecca Ibuka, Julian Fleming. Uh, you'll probably see most of those guys enjoy the, the majority of the reps there, but they still have a stable of four- and five-star underclassmen behind them because Brian Hartline is very, very good at what he does. And to round things out, the offensive line should be much improved as well as they return to a you know more traditional two-tackle, two-guard, and a center look under Justin Fry. From left to right, you're going to be looking at you know Paris Johnson Jr., Donovan Jackson, Luke Whipler, Matthew Jones, and Dewan Jones. So that gives you, you know, a pair of former five stars in Johnson and Jackson. And then you have Dewan Jones on the other side as a, as a hulking man at six foot eight, three fifty nine. So a lot to like across the board on offense where, you know, I don't expect this team to miss any beats from last year. In fact, it could potentially be even better with, with year two under Stroud. Maybe Ryan Day opening up the offense a bit more. Maybe we see Stroud use his legs a bit more to open things up as well. So I'm very intrigued to see what this team could do on the offensive side of the ball coming off of how good they were last year. Yeah, frankly, I'm not going to add a whole lot when it comes to this Ohio State offense. I expect them to pick up right where they left off. I think that, well, it clearly hurts to lose a Chris Olave and a Garrett Wilson. We saw what Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka could do in the Rose Bowl. Granted, that wasn't the same level of secondary with all the Utah you know, injuries and things that they were dealing with last year, but I think that one of those guys is going to step up pretty quickly. And if it's not Harrison, then it could be Ibuka or it could be Julian Fleming, who's my personal favorite. I would not be surprised if he's your second or third leading receiver when all is said and done. You know that you have four guys that you can count on. And even Jaden Ballard is probably fifth on the depth chart, but he at least got experience. He's been in the program. They've had some good things to say about him during the offseason. So, I really have no concerns there. It might take a little bit of time for those guys to sort of play at the same level that they did in the Rose Bowl. But, I mean, we're talking 500-some passing yards, right? We don't need that level of play week one. I don't think. I hope not. Um, But no concerns there. Same goes for the backfield. Yes, it hurts to lose Evan Pryor, but it's not like we got to see him a ton last year. The top two guys, Thunder and Lightning, between Henderson and Williams, I think they're going to be good, and I think they're going to be even better behind the revamped offensive line. I have high hopes for Paris Johnson Jr. I'm not the only one. He's like a preseason All-American, projected first-round pick. I don't know if I'm willing to go there yet before I've seen him play a game. But in totality, I think that offensive line is going to be much improved. But again, it could take some time to really get the ball rolling 
they have the benefit of some really good running backs and a great quarterback behind them. So um, they'll figure it out. You know, Notre Dame's got a tough defense. I know we're going to talk about that, but I expect good things starting week one from the Ohio State offense. Yeah, for sure. You know, this is um, this is a unit that is Ronda Ryan Day has has performed you know above expectations seemingly every year, um, and and I don't expect much different. If anything, I expect the the run game to look even better with an improved offensive line actually you know playing the correct positions. Um, but where things really do get get interesting is this defense. We have a pretty good idea how they'll line up. Not exactly how they'll look when they're lined up, but you know the this defensive line um, incorporating Jim Knowles's Jack position, which is a stand up defensive end linebacker hybrid. That spot will likely be manned by former five-star Jack Sawyer. Opposite him will be another pair of former five-stars in JT Tumaloa and Zach Harrison at the true defensive end spot. I would personally love to see Zach Harrison move inside to defensive tackle since he's such an excellent run stopper. We saw him do it a little bit in the Rose Bowl. I wouldn't be surprised to see him do it a bit this season as well to get both of those guys on the field. Um, the interior will likely be some combination of Teron Vincent, Jaron Cage, and Tyleek Williams. Um, Williams, the, the youngest and brightest star of the bunch, redshirt freshman Mike Hall could see some time in there as well. Linebacker, which has been a, a big position of, of you know consternation for Ohio State these past few seasons. Uh, the Noles will be running a 4 2 5, so there'll only be two on the field at once. Those two will almost certainly be Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg. I would like to see as much as five star freshman CJ Hicks as possible. I think he's simply too good of an athlete not to play. Um, guys like Cody Simon, Chip Trainum, also guys who will likely rotate in here and there. And then finally, with that secondary, uh, should be really good. You know, led by a trio of safeties, Ronnie Hickman, Josh Proctor, and Tanner McAllister. Um, you know, guys like Court Williams, Kai Stokes, Cam Martinez could get playing time back there as well. I would not be surprised to see a guy like Court Williams overtake McAllister. As the season goes on, I'm really, really high on what he's able to do back there. I'm also going to be interested to see how much Lathan Ransom plays coming off a bad leg injury. Um, and I think Martinez is an interesting option in the slot. So a couple guys to look out for there. In addition to five-star freshman Sonny Stokes, I don't know how, Sonny Styles, I'm sorry, how much he'll play early because he is a, you know an early enrollee freshman. He could be, he should be playing his senior year of high school, but he is another tremendous player, another former five-star. So a lot of good guys in that safety room. And then you look at the corners, you got Denzel Burke and Cam Brown back, um, J.K. Johnson, Jordan Hancock behind them. Not a deep room by any means, but uh, you know big-time talent from all four guys there. I could also see guys like a Styles or Martinez getting cornerback reps with the lack of depth they have back there. So you know, it would be hard for this defense to get any worse. Um, so any turn, any sort of significant improvement makes Ohio State a truly dangerous team. And I am excited for, you know, the guys they have out there. There's a lot of young talent that we didn't get to see last year. But there are also, you know, guys coming back who didn't quite perform as well. I don't know how much was on them and how much was on the coaching staff. But, you know, this is going to be our first chance to really see what these guys have out there. I am cautiously optimistic about this defense and wildly intrigued, more so by the Jim Knowles part of things. You know... I think that last year was really, it was a perfect storm. I think there was inexperience. I think that there was, uh, or there, you know, were some bad coaching decisions, lack of preparation, lack of game plan. I, I just, I think it was a, a number of factors that went into the defense's performance or lack thereof. But you also have to put some of that blame on the players themselves. Uh, you know, we've talked about a guy like Zach Harrison. He has not risen to the levels that uh, risen to the level that some of us expected him to play at. We thought that the linebackers would be, you know, better than terrible, which they were for the early part of last year. They progressed later on. Um, so just a lot of unknown here. But when I look at the the depth chart, the talent, <clears throat> excuse me. And the new coaching, 
I think that they are going to come together, and I think that they're going to perform much better this year. My concern is, are they going to do it week one? Because this is live bullets, this is live action. You know, They have not been able to see this, do this, play against this, whatever, um, at least against an opponent during any number of practices, right? You just, you can't replicate it. So it's a lot to ask of a lot of uh, new moving parts, but I do think that the pass rush is going to be better. I think uh, a full year and a full off season with JT Tuimilau, I think he's going to be great. I think Jack Sawyer, if he plays this Jack position and starts there or gets a ton of reps, I think that he has really seemingly found a home. The coaches have had nothing but great things to say about him. I think the linebackers are going to build off of what they were able to do uh, the latter part of last year. Tommy Eichenberg had 100 tackles in the Rose Bowl. I thought he looked great. He's now a captain. Steel Chambers, another year under his belt for the converted running back. So I see a step up there. And if Cody Simon's healthy and Taraja Mitchell can be a complementary piece, You're looking at four guys with experience and more experience than they had last year. Not on the back end. That's where I have probably the highest hopes because Denzel Burke showed us what he's capable of. Freshman All-American. Cam Brown was a surprise, in my opinion. I think he played really well, and he has played pretty well, really, when healthy. And then the safety room, Ronnie Hickman led the team in tackles. Josh Proctor, we thought, might be that guy last year who could lead the team in tackles. He's back. He's seemingly 100%. And then Tanner McAllister, a ton of experience, specifically in the Jim Knowles defense. So I've got a lot of high hopes for that group. And they also have depth behind them. You and I both love Cam Martinez. We're on the Court Williams uh, bandwagon. We both have high hopes for Jordan Hancock if and when he gets in there. So we had a lot of these same options last year. I just don't know that they were coached up to the same level or prepared or really knew what they were doing to the extent that they will this year with the months that they've had under Jim Knowles. So I think the secondary is going to be good. And that's probably that's probably Notre Dame's weakest aspect of their offense is you know the passing game. So I think that's strength on weakness. A lot will depend on how the Buckeyes perform up front. In my opinion, that front six, that front seven, can they stop the run? Can they contain uh, Buckner, who is sort of a dual threat guy? He had 300 or some rushing yards, I think, last year. He can do it with his legs. He's not as proven of a passer. But, yeah, I mean, what else can you say beyond you're just interested? You want to see what this is, and I think we're both cautiously optimistic but let me know if you disagree. There might be some speed bumps here week one in, in the first couple of weeks as they get acclimated and as they gel and come together. Yeah, no, Jim Knowles would have to be some corner, some sort of magician to turn what we saw last year into, you know, even a competent defense. And I do have, you know, full faith in him to do that. But I, I do think there will be some speed bumps in the road early on, you know, especially against the type of offense that we're going to see from Notre Dame that I want to touch on here, you know, a bit in a second. But, you know, you, you look at this, what, what they're going to be going up against here. Um, I, I think it's going to be tough. Some things are going to be tough, specifically based on what Ohio State, you know, struggled with last year. You know, the run game, mobile quarterback. I, I think we're going to see that come into play here. You know, you talk about Tyler Buckner. Um, he's a guy who played in 10 games last season. He completed, you know, 21 of 35 passes for almost 300 yards, three touchdowns, three interceptions. Wasn't really used as a team's passer. That was obviously Jack Cohn. Um, he's now gone, and Buckner's in his spot as a starter. But 
the, the interesting thing about Buckner was that he was the team's second leading rusher last year behind Kyron Williams. He had 336 yards on the ground, averaged 7.3 yards per carry. He's a really capable runner that can make you pay with his legs. So that's going to be a, a tough ask for Ohio State's linebackers specifically um, and an Ohio State front Gene, seven and overall. that kind of guy, too, has given Ohio State issues in the past. Not the same coaching staff, but we've seen it, right? Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down to linebacker play. We've seen Ohio State struggle in that department specifically for a few years now. I think a guy like a Zach Harrison is going to be really important in this game because of how much he's, you know, how good he is against the run. I think he's a guy that you, you know you could put in contain on the outside and kind of let him spy on, on Buckner and get and stop him from getting out of the pocket because that is where this Notre Dame offense is going to be the most dangerous. You look out elsewhere in that backfield, Chris Tyree likely going to get most of the reps at running back. Um, only averaged four, four yards per carry last season, but he did do some damage in the passing game. He had 24 catches for 258 yards and a pair of touchdowns. So it's another thing Ohio State's going to have to look out for. You know, if, if Buckner's getting out of the pocket, maybe dumping some screen passes off to Tyree, I think that's going to be a big part of this Notre Dame offense, as well as, um, obviously, future number one tight end in probably the 2023 NFL draft, Michael Mayer. Um, he led the team in receiving last year with a team-high 71 catches, and he was second in yards with 840 to go along with the seven touchdowns. So another, you know, big passing option. A lot of We're hearing a lot of things here that is going to be a lot of linebacker and defensive line responsibilities, two areas where Ohio State really struggled last season. So I think it is, you know, you talk about strength on weakness going the other way. I think this is also going to be strength on weakness for, for Notre Dame going up against this Ohio State defense because a lot of the areas that Notre Dame excels in on offense are areas that Ohio State struggled in on defense last year. And, you know, we're hoping Knowles, um, you know, with his, especially as a, as a linebacker guy, can help a lot in that area and in this new scheme. Maybe, you know, some new blitz packages and stuff will help in that area as well. But it will be interesting to see how Ohio State handles the quarterback run game and just the run game and passing to the running backs in general. Yeah, absolutely. I I just want to go top to bottom here. I'll hit quickly on Buckner. I do think he's a better runner than a passer, but some of that may have been game plan, inexperience, so on and so forth. They've clearly been preparing him. Ohio State's going to have to be ready, aware, and able to stop his sort of dual threat abilities. I think that the, 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 good thing about this game is Ohio State has had a long time to prepare for it, right? And they've probably been preparing for Buckner for an extended period of time. So this isn't one week to get ready. This is weeks and months to get ready. So I think they know what he's capable of. It comes down to whether or not they can contain him. As far as the running backs go, Tyree and Diggs, they do not instill fear in me yet. But you mentioned Tyree's a dangerous pass catcher, another issue that has plagued the OSU defense in the past. As far as their outside weapons, I expect Lorenzo Stiles Jr., um, Ohio State legacy, or could have been Ohio State legacy. I think he will be a stud at some point. But I think Denzel Burke and or Cam Brown can hold their own against any of the wide receivers. Comes down to Michael Mayer, right? And can the Buckeyes contain this animal? Right. He does it all well, although I think he's a better pass catcher. A lot will be asked and expected of the linebackers and the safeties. Um, I want to ask you a question, Gene, with the ability of Michael Mayer, the size and everything like that. We'll get to the rest. But do you think that this could potentially be a Court Williams game 
due to his size, maybe playing up in the box at one of those safety positions? Yeah, he's definitely the first guy that comes to mind as as someone who could really be, you know, a, a one-on-one defender against a guy like Michael Mayer. You know, he has experience both as a linebacker and a safety. You know, his skill set kind of works out there. Maybe if he's that in-the-box safety, he's looking for, you know, the run-stopping ability plus with some extra, you know, responsibility on Mayer. That wouldn't surprise me at all. I'd love to see it. Um, you know, you talk about, you know, some of these other options here on, on Notre Dame, you know, they, they have, they're without Avery Davis, who's out for the year with an ACL injury. That's a really big blow to their receiving core. But in, in addition to the actual weapons they have on, on at wide receiver, which, you know, you talk about styles another guy like Braden Lindsay, likely two of the top guys out there, you know, they only combined for 700 yards and four touchdowns last season, the two of them. So not a ton of explosiveness out there from their wide receiver core, at least from what we've seen thus far. However, this is a team with a really, really good offensive line, probably one of the strengths of the team. Mm-hmm. However, they could also, they could be without Jarrett Patterson. Uh, the former All-American center who is, is expected to play guard this year is questionable with a foot injury. Um, even without him, they both of their tackles, Joe All and Blake Fisher, are expected to be future NFL draft picks. Uh, so, you know, the loss of Patterson would still be a big one as the unit's leader, but they do have still a, a very good line regardless. And I think that maybe could help out a guy like um, a guy like Buckner, both in the run game and the passing game. Maybe it's not, you know, these long developing downfield routes, but I think, you know, they could definitely give him enough time to hit on some short fields, especially to a guy like Mayer, and really give the Ohio State defense fits by just kind of dinking and dunking it down the field, using the quarterback's legs, using that run game, maybe a little read option stuff. I think that's going to be a lot of the game plan for Notre Dame, and I am very interested to see how Jim Knowles and Ohio State's defense look to attack it. I'm glad you brought up the offensive line for Notre Dame because I actually think that they were a bit underwhelming last year. You know, when you look at their uh, their rushing stats, they only averaged 4.1 yards per carry on running back runs, uh, maybe in totality. I don't remember which stat I wrote down. So um, not a great yard per carry average with the running back um, who, who they lost, who was a good running back. I think he'll do some things in the NFL. But like you said, they do return a bunch of guys who have been starters at one point or another. And I don't know if you mentioned Blake Fisher, former five-star guy. He's an up-and-comer. Jared Patterson is the anchor. Um, I, you never want to hope that a guy is hurt. But I wouldn't be upset if he missed this game. You know, it, it wasn't a, a catastrophic injury. I think it was a, a an ankle sprain or something like that. He's still questionable right now. If I had to guess, I think that we'll see him out there. And, you know, he's a monster. He is moving over from center. But the replacement, Zeke Carell, was better as a center a couple years ago. He played guard last year. It it wasn't his best position, so they moved him back to center where he's probably more comfortable. So they do have a ton of experience, and we assume the transition will be smooth, but you never know, right? Um, A center moving out to a guard, does he have the same impact? A guy like Patterson probably would, but again, it's a new position. So they've got some things to sort out, but I'm with you. It's going to come down to the trenches and you know what can Ohio State's defense do against this experienced Notre Dame offensive line and then what can the Buckeyes do at the second level can they contain the the run game you know do they handle the play action well and I'm really interested in how they handle Mayer because I heard former Buckeye linebacker Bobby Carpenter kind of talking about how you best defend the tight end he prefers the single high safety He's not Jim Knowles. Maybe Jim Knowles complete uh, agrees wholeheartedly. Maybe he has a difference of opinion. I think the best way, in my opinion, the best thing they can do to maybe limit the 
production and explosiveness and, you know, kind of impact of Michael Mayer. It's just to keep him busy and keep eyes on him. And I know that kind of sounds like common sense, but when I say keep him busy, you know, always bumping him, always chipping him when he's off the line, make physical contact, delay him just a little bit. And then if and when he does get to the middle of the field, I think that Ohio State probably needs to have a linebacker who isn't necessarily spying Mayer or maybe even guarding him one-on-one, but has eyes on him, right? And then maybe the same thing from the safety. Maybe you identify your preferred safety and you put it in his mind, you put it in his brain that, hey, you also need to always have one eye on Michael Mayer because he does quite a bit underneath on the outside, but they're not explosive plays. But if you let him hit the seam or get down the middle, he can definitely hurt you. So however they want to do it, however they choose to attack it, I just think that they always need to have a presence around Mayer, make him feel somebody, slow him up just a little bit, and then that's going to give the other guys up front, six or seven, whatever it is, more time and and more ability to kind of see what the offense is doing and maybe see ball, get ball. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not expecting to see, you know, a, a straight up, you know, one-on-one Chambers or Eichenberg on Mayer. I don't think that'll go, you know, particularly well. Those are two guys we saw last year that, you know, didn't exactly excel in pass coverage. So I doubt that Jim Knowles is just going to pawn that that high of a responsibility onto them. Um, I do want to flip the script here looking at, you know, what Notre Dame's defense is going to do against Ohio State's offense. Um, you have any insight for me on, on former Bengals assistant Al Golden, who is, is going to lead this unit this year? I can tell you that Al Golden was a terrible head coach at Miami, but he actually did really well with the Bengals. You know, he brought along Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson, two linebackers who performed really well for the Bengals. Logan Wilson could be a pro bowler, and some of that credit goes to Al Golden. So, you know, maybe not the greatest head coach in the world. I don't remember what he did at Temple, but I, I think people have had good things to say about him as a coordinator and a defensive coach. So that's probably a good piece for them to have on the staff, in addition to Al Washington, who they added, and things like that. Of course, and that was our that was our our weekly Bengals minute here on the podcast. Um, I'm glad at, you gave me the platform, Gene. Kudos to you. Of course, we'll always have our Bengals minute when we need it. Um, looking at this Notre Dame defense, they have some really good talent. You know, at all three levels, they have pretty much at least one or two big guys at each level of the defense up front. They're led by Viper Isaiah Foskey. It's similar to Ohio State's Jack position. Um, he had a team high what ten a sacks. Name, right? Yeah, definitely a better name. I like the Viper better than the Jack. Although it is funny that Jack Sawyer is playing the Jack position. So we'll see how that works out. But team high ten sacks last year. Nine and a half tackles for loss. Um, really good player up front. On that linebacker, uh, Maris Liafu is one of the best players on the whole defense, but he missed all of 2021 with a leg injury. He was originally questionable for this game, but is now probable and expected to play. They also returned some other good guys over there um, at linebacker. J.D. Bertrand was their team's uh, leading tackle last year with 102 tackles. Um, Jack Kaiser opposite him had 45 tackles and a pair of defensive touchdowns, so they're super strong at linebacker. Um, They do suffer a big loss at safety with Kyle Hamilton off to the NFL, but they replace him with All-American Brandon Joseph, who Ohio State fans likely remember for for his time at Northwestern. He didn't have a particularly good year in 2021, but 
a lot of that could have been a result of a, a pretty terrible supporting cast around him. So we'll give him a bit of a pass there. He's still a very good player at the back end of that that secondary. Um, that where this this team has their biggest concern, and something that you don't want to hear when going up against Ohio State, is that the corners are are is a unit that struggled last season. Uh, there isn't a ton of experience there, and the guys that did play a lot last year didn't play particularly well, especially against some of the tougher competition. Um, you're looking at some combo of you know Cam Hart, Clarence Lewis, and Tariq Bracy. Um, those guys are going to be thrown into the fire immediately against an Ohio State passing attack that is going to look to throw the ball early and often. We know Ohio State wants to be able to establish the run more often this season and earlier in games and be able to run the ball in short yardage situations and whatnot. But we know that at the end of the day, Ohio State is a, a pass-heavy offense. And to have you know the, the one of the, the weakest parts of your defense be your secondary um, is not especially good when you're going up against the Buckeyes. I think with that secondary, too, I think what Ohio State needs to do is make Brandon Joseph choose. Right, choose one side of the field or the other, or just choose a wide receiver on any given play. And not, I don't want to say they need to avoid him because I don't think Ohio State needs to avoid anybody with the collection of wide receivers they have, but at least make him guess, maybe get him out of position, and then attack the other side of the field on any given play because he's a ball hawk. You know, I think he is arguably more of a ball hawk than Kyle Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton could do a little bit of everything. Um, I think Brandon Joseph is better against the pass, despite what we saw last year. You know, we all remember the 2022 game or the 2020 game. He made the great interception against Justin Fields in the end zone, kept Northwestern in the game a little bit. But yeah, you mentioned it. Their corners uh, are not the highest tier, kind of most upper echelon guys. So I think Ohio State can attack that, provided they have time. And they can also balance it out with the run because Notre Dame is very good up front. This should be a very good defense as a whole. And really due to the losses that Michigan has had, I think it has the potential to be the best defense Ohio State will face during the regular season. Um, But they're good up front. They surrounded 19.7 points per game last year. They return a bunch of players. You mentioned Isaiah Foskey. He plays that unique Viper position. He is a menace all over the field. Ohio State's going to have to practice good ball security. He forced six fumbles last year, so he can do a little bit of everything. Jason Adamilola also provides a pass rush up front, even if the rest of the defensive line are not you know, prototypical world beaters. Um, and then in the middle, I like J.D. Bertrand a lot, a 100-tackle guy there in the middle. And Jack Kaiser, sort of a hybrid linebacker player, not the biggest guy in the world. He had the two touchdowns, like you said. He also had five passes defended last year, so he can probably do some things in the middle of the field, maybe help take away some of the short stuff for Ohio State. Um, So I like that front six, that front seven, because of the stars, quote-unquote, that they have. At the end of the day, I think that Notre Dame is going, Notre Dame's defense is going to make Ohio State work for it, but I think that they can be attacked. Their defense can be attacked. I think you have to neutralize Foskey somehow, some way, get the ball out of your hands quickly, run away from him, whatever you have to do. And then, you know, don't make any silly mistakes. Don't turn the ball over. Don't give Jack Kaiser an opportunity. Don't give Brandon Joseph an opportunity to get their ball, their hands on the ball because they can make you pay. So while I le- like Notre Dame's defense and think it could be one of, if not the best units that Ohio State faces this year. When you really break it down, should Ohio State's offense be scared of anybody? Absolutely not. They've got world beaters all over the place. So if they execute their game plan, 
and limit turnovers or just, you know, not have any turnovers at all, I think Ohio State's offense is going to be just fine. Yeah, I I think the biggest worry going into this game for Ohio State fans looking at it is Notre Dame is really good in the trenches on both sides. And that's, you know, we know that's what cost Ohio State the game against Michigan. And so we're going to learn right away if Ohio State was able to correct some of the mistakes that played them last year going up a team like Notre Dame. They they have a very similar, you know, roster build to that of of Michigan last year. They might not have the star power of of an Aiden Hutchinson or a David Ojabo, guys of that like, but this is a team that's really good at both sides of the football in the trenches. They're good at blocking up front on the offensive line, and they have a very solid defensive line, both, you know, at rushing the passer and at stopping the run. Um, so, you know, you, of course, like a Marcus Freeman team is going to have a pretty solid defense. So Stroud and company will have to work for it, like you said. I think the Buckeyes will want to run the football, but that's kind of going directly against Notre Dame's strength here. I think they're better suited, you know, trying to air it out a little bit more, passing it around. I know that's, you know, it puts you more at risk for turnovers, but I think that is where Ohio State can excel more in this game and, and kind of attack the weaknesses of this Fighting Irish team. I think they have a few question marks at some key positions. You know, I think Buckner, for you know, for what he's done so far, I think he could still be considered a question mark for the lack of some experience there, especially as a, a full-time passer. Um, wide receiver, we talked about not a ton of knowns out there. Same at the cornerback position. So a, a pretty big list of unknowns at pretty important positions going up against a team like Ohio State going to Columbus and playing a game like this. But this is a very good team. I don't know if they're a top five team, but they're certainly top 15, if not top 10, if everything goes well for them. Yeah, I think so. And I want to hit on a couple things that you brought up. When it comes to offensive game plan, while I very much agree with you that uh, that Ohio State might want to air the ball out, rely on all the talented wide receivers they have, I, I think that Ohio State <clears throat> excuse me, is going to really look to establish the run and maybe lean on it a little bit more than they did last year just because I think that and, and I'm preaching to the choir here. I think that Mayan Williams is a sleeping giant. You know, he has looked good in doses, but I think he can be a really great high level compliment to Travion Henderson. And he is more of the physical back. He can wear down the defenses. So yes, that's a strength of Notre Dame. Mayan Williams brings this, you know, this other sort of dimension to where I think they can feed him the ball against this team, let him beat up on that Notre Dame front seven, provided they get good blocking from the Ohio state offensive line. So yeah, like I I like the thought process of air it out, but if they have success running the ball, I don't think they're, they're going to go away from it. I don't think that, and they, and they shouldn't, this Ohio state offense should not be pigeonholed into any one plan of attack because of all the talent. I think if the offensive line plays up to the level that we think they will, it's sort of a pick your poison sort of thing. So that's what I'm really interested in from an Ohio state offense perspective is can they, and will they establish the run? We saw them struggle uh, certainly against Michigan and in other games, at least when you look at like yards per carry and things like that and getting short third downs, things of that nature. Um, Travion Henderson is probably going to come back bigger, stronger, potentially faster. But I would like to see Mayan Williams very involved. And yeah, I, I like I like the Thunder and Lightning nickname you gave them because it, it's very like <laughs> apropos of them too. Mayan Williams is obviously the Thunder, and Travion Henderson is the Lightning. A hundred percent. And you know, I'm not going to make a bold prediction, but I wouldn't be shocked if both of those guys hit or approached a thousand yards. I truly believe that that Mayan Williams can be a a 1B to Travion Henderson, even though Travion Henderson is on Heisman 
watch lists and, and all these preseason watch lists. So, um, you know, that's the one thing that I wanted to throw out there about the Ohio State offense. In totality, though, we've kind of danced around it. We've touched on it a little bit, but is Ohio State going to be and play nasty? That's what it really comes down to for me. They, you know, pardon my French, they got their ass kicked in the trenches during a couple of games last year. And Ryan Day has talked about it. Justin Fry has talked about it. Jim Knowles has talked about it. They're in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Are they going to take it to Notre Dame? Because Notre Dame's experience on both sides. I want to see if they come out with aggression. I want to see if that defense, you know, plays with speed and violence, like Ryan Day mentioned today in his presser. I think that's a big theme, and it's kind of hanging over the head of this entire Ohio State offense, or Ohio State team, in my opinion. Can they play aggressive? Can they play nasty? Can they take it to the opponent? And while the, the game itself gives me pause and, you know, some nerves, it is a good initial test of the Buckeyes have they learned from past mistakes? Have they learned from the loss to Michigan? And will they take it to the Fighting Irish? At the end of the day, I think the mentality is absolutely there. But how do you react when you get punched in the mouth? They you know, essentially folded in certain positions last year against Michigan. I think Notre Dame is going to try and do some of the same thing. So that is probably the thing that I am most interested in is the mentality and the aggression that this Ohio State team plays with across the board. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree. You know, we know my long-standing gripes with uh, with Mick Marotti and, and the kind of the strength and conditioning of this team. You know, we saw them last year. They looked soft against some of the tougher opponents, especially a team like Michigan. You know, like you said, once they got punched in the mouth, they really folded in that game. They weren't, you know, they didn't have the toughness. They didn't have the stamina to keep up with that Michigan run game that was just grinding on them, you know, for four straight quarters. Um, and they need to improve in that area. You can't just, you know, I feel like this team for a while now has just been making guys bigger and not in better football shape or stronger or faster. You're just getting physically larger, and that's not gonna that's not gonna win your football games. Hopefully, they've improved a little bit on that in the off season. I want to see them get more creative in the run game. We talked about how last year, you know, based on formations, you could basically tell if Ohio State was was running it or passing it. They're obviously gonna have to improve in that area. I'm assuming Justin Fry, um, you know, that UCLA run game was really good last year. I'm hoping he can bring some of that stuff over to Ohio State as well. And so, yeah, those are two of the things I'm looking forward to as well. Can they establish the run against a team like Notre Dame who's built to stop the run? And can they, you know, play with a toughness on defense and get get off the field on on those third downs, you know, make the plays when they have to, stop the run, all that stuff that, you know, they weren't able to do last year. Have they been able to turn around? So much unknown, right? Like we could sit here and throw out a million hypotheticals, but we're not going to know until kickoff, until that first big third down, um, on either side of the ball, something like that. So it, it's a great like nervous energy to have, and I think you're of the same mindset, but there's always going to be that caution and that hesitation in the back of our minds based on recent results, and it's not even the Michigan game. Um, Utah smacked them around a little bit, and that was a very interesting game throughout. So I, I really do hope that Ohio State has – sort of warn that all off season, let it eat eat away at them. I hope that the chip is on their shoulder, that they want to come out and impress that they want to be the person who does the punching in the mouth or the team that does the punching in the mouth. And I think that they will, 
But like I said, Notre Dame is not going to make it easy for them. I do think Notre Dame is a very talented team. They have a new coach. They've got a new quarterback. They've got some things that they have to replace. But it's certainly not going to be easy. And that just adds to the intrigue of the whole thing. I I can't imagine what the atmosphere is going to be like in the shoe. Um, Is it Safe Light Field yet? I I don't don't know if it's official, but it's something. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's just going to be a Super Bowl-type atmosphere. And that sounds crazy, but I'm going to stand by it. It'll be similar to that at the college level. It's not a national championship game, but it's Ohio State. It's Notre Dame. It's week one. It's the marquee game. So I can't imagine, like I said, the butterflies for the players, the energy in the stadium. I'm just really looking forward to it. And, Gene, I don't know what else you have to add. I do want to throw you a couple, like – hot topic questions though here at the end unless like I said you do have something no I'm good you know I think nervous excitement is a good way to put it um you know I I'm excited to see what the team's going to put out there I'm excited to you know get back and talk about it after seeing what what it's going to look like this Saturday but yeah like you said you know it's all just speculation at this point we know who the players will be we know who the coaches will be we know who the opposition will be it's just what it looks like on the field and I guess we you know we won't really know that until late Saturday night absolutely so what I want to throw to you you, you are not allowed to choose C.J. Stroud, Travion Henderson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. But give me a player or two on both sides of the ball who you could see a big or a game-changing impact from, because I know mine. Okay, um, I'll go a little bit non-conventional. Not, not a super non-conventional here. I'm picking a five-star player, but I'm, I'm really excited to see Donovan Jackson at guard. Um, I'm excited as a whole to see Ohio State's offense get back to a traditional offensive line. I think the four tackles offensive line, you know, as we've talked about, as has been numerously discussed pretty much everywhere, it was a stupid idea. It was Greg Stoudreau was not at, at the top of his game near the end of his, his coaching tenure. I'm glad they brought in Justin Fry, and I'm excited to see what having you know a, a true guard like Donovan Jackson, the guy that was the number one guard in the country in his recruiting class, excited to see what he could do alongside Paris Johnson on that left side of that offensive line. I think those are going to be a very strong duo on that side, on, on C.J. Stroud's uh, on blind side there good to have those two guys having your back um so i'm excited for him and then on defense i I think i you know it's it's i'm not gonna i'm not gonna surprise anybody here it's cj hicks i want to see cj hicks play football i want to see what that kid could do at linebacker ohio state has been lacking a a linebacker with that level of as of athleticism for quite a few years now really dating back to you know the the uh the Raquan McMillans and the, and the Darren Lees of 2014-2015. It's been that long since Ohio State's had a true game-changing linebacker. And, and based on what I've seen from him in his high school film and what's been talked about him, I think he could be that next guy. And so I don't think he's going to start the season as a starter. He may not even play you know, in significant minutes in the first game or, or in you know, non-garbage time in the first couple of games. But I am really excited to see what that kid could do in his first year at Ohio State. And of course, you know, as his career carries on, I think he's going to be a really important piece for this defense moving forward. Yeah, I mean... I. I think I probably should have specified game one, but I don't want you to change your answers because I like both of them, especially Donovan Jackson or the Donovan Jackson Paris Johnson duo, because they were probably like third and fourth on my list. Um, For me, I'm going to go with two players on each side of the ball on offense. I think that Mayan Williams is going to play a huge role. I've talked about that. I think especially against this Notre Dame team, if they're going to have success running the ball, they're going to need that physical component. I think Mayan Williams adds that. He brings that. So I think that we're going to see quite a bit of him. And then I'm going to continue to beat the drum until you know somebody takes the drum away from me or the drumstick out of my hands. Julian Fleming. I 
am convinced that he will make a difference, not only this year, but in week one. And I hope I don't turn out to be wrong, but, you know, the hype is all around JSN and the recency bias puts the hype around Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Igbuka. But Julian Fleming had a fantastic offseason. Uh, I read about how he caught two touchdowns in a scrimmage against the Ohio State defense recently. He's a five-star guy. He was the top wide receiver in his class. He has flashed when he's been out there and when he's been healthy. He seems to be 100% healthy. So I think he makes a difference in this game. I'm not saying he goes for 102 tutties, but I think that Julian Fleming will be heard from. On the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to go two players at one kind of quasi-position. I think that Ronnie Hickman... I hope that Ronnie Hickman does Ronnie Hickman type things. I think that he's going to be utilized all over the field. And when you've got a Notre Dame team who relies on the tight end, maybe not the strongest wide receivers, but a good running game, I hope that they kind of let him loose and let him make plays. And the other guy, I think Josh Proctor is going to re-announce his presence. I think that His loss last year and the subsequent kind of substitution of Bryson Shaw, look, it is what it is. I hate to bring up Bryson Shaw and Gene's presence, but... Yeah, why'd you have to do that to me on week one? That's that's just not right. (laughs) I think Josh Proctor was missed immensely last year. I think he's going to come back with a vengeance. I don't know if he's the, you know, the Michael Mayer foil. I don't know exactly what they're going to do with him. I think the game plan has been kept sort of under wraps. But I think those two safeties are going to be all over the field, and I believe that they will make a difference and they'll make their presence known for the Buckeyes. So those are my four on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I'm very excited to see what a healthy Josh Proctor can do. I'm happy he's back this year. Looks like, like you said, he's 100% coming off that that leg injury a year ago. We don't really know. I, I expect Lathan Ransom's almost 100% as well, although his leg injury was more recent. His was at the end of the year, so not quite sure if they're working him back to, to full strength just yet or if he'll be playing sparingly. But having both of those guys back in that secondary just adds more more depth and more guys with experience back there and, and more talent. But Josh, you know, gone a bit long here. Obviously, it's week one, so we're excited. There's a little, a little bit more to talk about as we're excited for actual football. Let's make some... Let's make some score predictions and get out of here. What do you What do you got for me? Oh, man, I hate that, that you're doing this to me. So uh, I'll say this. The spread right now is 17 and a half. I don't care about the spread. I want Ohio State to win by at least one point. That's all I care about, especially in these big games. But I'll go with 41-31 Ohio State. Um, I don't know that it's – I think it's probably – a seven to 10 point game throughout. I'm not predicting that Ohio state adds a couple touchdowns late to come from behind. I think that Ohio state will be somewhat in control. Uh, I think that the defense is going to give up some points, but when you've got CJ Stroud, Travion Henderson, Jackson Smith and Jigwin, and all the other guys, that's the Trump card for me. So I think Ohio state pulls it off by 10 points. Give me 41 to 31. Yeah, that's that's very, very similar to what I had written down. I have 42-28. 
uh, in favor of Ohio State. I kind of agree with you. I figure it'll be you know pretty much a one score game throughout. Maybe Ohio State you know forces a turnover late or you know just pulls away with that offense later on as that Notre Dame defense starts to get tired running around with all those those wide receivers out there. So I I'm with you. I don't think you know the 17 half point spread is what it is. I'm not you know I I'm not going to be convinced about this Ohio State defense until I see it. I still think you know 28 points against a team like Notre Dame is a really good showing for a defense that looks so so bad last year. I think that would show pretty significant improvement, especially if they're able to control Buckner in the ground game a good amount if those linebackers look good and they, they look like they know what they're doing more importantly um but yeah I, I like last year I don't really see a, a team like Ohio State not scoring over 40 points I know that there'll probably be some early growing pains not having guys like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson out there but I just think there's far too much talent in that wide receiver core in that in that backfield and along the offensive line with CJ Stroud at the helm to not put up 40 points against you know pretty much any defense even though this is like we said a good defense I think they'll do more than enough to get the job done and so I'm going 42 28 um and you know like like we said before I think it's just it's nervous excitement now now we wait yeah, it, it, I also compared it to last year. I threw the Oregon game out, but I compared Michigan to Notre Dame. And I just think Michigan last year was clearly a better team than Notre Dame this year. And, you know, Ohio State lost sort of a close one. They got beat up a little bit. I think they're going to learn from that. And I, I just think top to bottom, Ohio State's a better team. And week one, that's usually what you're betting on, right? There's so much unknown. You look at it, which one's the better team on paper and also playing at home. So that's why it gives me a little bit more confidence in going with Ohio State in this one. Yeah, I think certainly the talent advantage at home against a, a first year, first full year head coach, um, it definitely puts the things in, in Ohio State's favor. It will be a raucous crowd in Columbus on Saturday. And Gene, but. I'll add this too, um, if we want to get wild. If Ohio State holds Notre Dame to less than 24 points, I will make my way to the shoe and I will carry Jim Knowles out on my shoulders. I've been working on squats been working on the leg strength so that's my uh my kind of crazy add to the end of this pod is if ohio state's lights out on defense jim Knowles is my new favorite coach yeah i i think there'll be more than a few people signing up for that position to to do that at the end of every ohio state game for the rest of the time if he is able to to turn things around that quickly and they look that good right out of the gate i completely agree with you on that one i will not be doing that because i'm all the way in new jersey but i i respect your your commitment to to the team and to the to the uh the jim Knowles era at ohio state That'll be it for us. Um, we will be back now, going back to two episodes a week. We'll be back on sometime on Sunday to recap whatever happens in the Ohio State-Notre Dame game. Hopefully it is a happy recap to, to start off the season on a good note. Um, other than that, be sure to check out all of our written content over at LandGrantHolyLand.com. We will have a ton of, of stuff leading into the game this week, obviously. A um, ton of content uh, previewing that game and whatnot heading into the season. Um, and be sure to you know like, rate, view, subscribe, all that good stuff that all the podcasts ask you to do. And as always, go Bucks.